unfiltered, unscripted, and uncut. A hundred million dollars, and you're going to use it four times. And let's be real, it's not going to be even close to full capacity. What, the population's 40,000? Yeah, fit but dude, it's the Olympics. I know, okay. They'll, <laughs> like, get, okay, what? they'll, they'll get people You think only South Koreans are going okay, to the that Olympics? Was that was stupid, that was stupid. This is Homestand Headlines. She say, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love my bed and my mom. I'm sorry. 50 dub. I even got it. 11.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night kicking off Homestand Headlines. Tyler Kelleher joined by Michael Reeve. It's been a long night. We've had a long day. But we got to keep this podcast rolling because we've got some headline news going on right now. Josh Donaldson came out today with some very interesting words to the media. Ross and you know I and my agent have talked and you know we're just we're not there right now and we really feel for me and I feel this the most I feel like as of right now all my attention and my focus needs to be on this season we're not we're not at the same type of area the same ballpark to make a a discussion to to moving forward just to make sure we're not kind of putting words in your mouth here, but it sounds like your expectation is to hit free agency in the, in the offseason um, at this point. Yes. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this happen with all-star players in the Blue Jays. We saw this happen with Jose Bautista, with Edwin Encarnacion. It seems like ever since Ross Atkins and Marsha Pyro showed up, it's been a trend in the Blue Jays clubhouse. Well, I mean, with Jose Bautista, I feel like that's a completely different story. The guy was over the hill, and... If you look back on it, not signing him to a long extension kind of makes them look like geniuses. Otherwise, they would have been in a really bad spot going into this year. And with Edwin, they offered him a contract, and he ended up actually taking one year less to go sign in Cleveland. It was just the way the market worked that offseason. I mean, sure, you can blame him for not bringing back a cornerstone piece like Eddie, but when it comes to J.D., it should be really interesting. But it really seems like we've walked down this path before where they give their number and they hope he signs. If he doesn't, they don't talk about it for about six months, and we'll revisit this in October. Yeah, it's basically been it, and I feel like what happened with Jose Bautista kind of puts Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins on edge to dump so much term on a guy like Josh Donaldson playing such a physical position like third base. You don't want to sign the guy until he's 38. He's not really going to be as reliable on the field. Uh, on Josh Donaldson's side of view, he's thinking, well, if I dip into free agency you think about guys he's going up against like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper – from that point on, he's basically the next best option. Uh, and I'm, I'm only calling Manny Machado a better option than, than Josh Donaldson because of the age. Now, I think it's pretty funny that Manny Machado and Josh Donaldson have the, have the exact same agent, and it became public that Manny Machado wants to switch to shortstop. So now the agent's two biggest clients have become the two biggest options for their perspective, respective positions. Uh, on the, coming, on the left side of the diamond. Right. You have the best shortstop option and the best third base option. They're both your clients. I wonder if that was uh, an internal discussion. Well, Machado did play shortstop back in college all the way up. It, it was just a, out of necessity that they put him at third when they initially brought, initially brought him up. So no surprises there. But for J.D., absolutely. Dip your toe into free agency, especially, like you said, a lot of teams have been clearing cap space, or there isn't cap, but money under the luxury tax because they know what's coming up in the next free agency. And you're right, once Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are off the table, J.D. is going to look real fine to a couple suitors. And they're going to have a lot of change to play with. It's true, but at the same time, I think, I think we're past that, that phase where 32-year-olds are just getting paid till they're 39. It doesn't happen anymore. And we're seeing that players, a lot of tensions rising up over the current CBA, a CBA that they agreed on last year 
that basically they feel screwing themselves. All it is is the, the team owners, the franchise owners are just making good, smart business moves, and they're making the most of it. No one's going to dump that kind of money on a guy at that age. We just saw J.D. Martinez sign a five-year deal with the Red Sox at $110 million. He wanted more than five years. Hugh Darvish gets signed for six years. Jake Ari- Arrieta and Mike Moustakis still haven't been signed yet. Yeah, that's hard to believe. A pitcher like Jake Arrieta is currently, who wouldn't want Jake Arrieta in their top five? He's a he's a bona fide front end of your rotation starter, and he's sitting there on the free agent market. It's true, it's very true. But why pay someone in their thirties millions of dollars and get locked down just to see his play drop off when you can be invested in somebody in their early twenties that's under team control and it's a lot cheaper? And that's why we're seeing the Pittsburgh Pirates having fire sales and the Miami Marlins and it could be the Blue Jays. They have a, a bunch of expiring contracts after this season. If everything goes south, they're going to pull the shoot. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Justin Smoke, Marco Estrada, Jay Happ, Josh Donaldson, they could all be gone. And, I mean, it's important to remember that Shapiro and Atkins, they got experience building up a rebuild. We've seen the Cleveland Indians at the peak of where they've been in the last 20 years. Yes, Shapiro and Atkins weren't there, but they built that team. Let's not forget they built that team that was just in a World Series. They they have the experience tearing it down to the studs and starting up. And when you have a rotation and some pitchers like the Blue Jays have under team control and Stroman, Sanchez, and uh, Roberto Osuna on the back end, that's three key pieces. And then you got the best third-base prospect in all of baseball and Vlad Guerrero Jr. coming through the pipeline. And Bo Bichette might be a nice piece to maybe swing out there and pick up another big piece. Anthony Alfred, Richard Urena. It's funny because, you know, a year ago, when you're talking about their farm system, it was presumed they didn't have the best farm system. Yet all these guys were already there in that prospect pool. It just seems like they jumped up to another another level, you know, to AAA, and people are really realizing how good they really are. And now they're, you know, deemed as a team that has a very, very good farm system. But their big pieces are still there from last year. It's the same players. They just got better, and they've, you know, advanced and, and progressed even more as players and individuals. Well, that's what the management might be looking at, a flag Guerrero Jr. going... If we lock up Donaldson for the next five years, where's Vladdy playing? Right. Third base prospect. Are you going to move him into the outfield? Maybe a little first bag? Who knows? Like they they got to be thinking about that when you're going to sign a an older player to big-time money at a position where your best prospect's coming through the pipeline. Well, at the end of the day, we had Ross Atkins on our live event on February 1st, and he said that he had a number to get the Josh Donaldson that would make him a mainstay with the Blue Jays for years and years and years. And obviously, from what he just said, uh, they presented that number to him, and I, he did not deem it they, acceptable. No, no likey from J.D.'s camp on that number. Maybe add a couple zeros. Yeah, probably. I'm sure it's term more than anything else. You're probably right. I think term they're, is the they're biggest They're probably thing. close enough on money where they could talk and come to some sort of agreement. You're probably you're right. He probably wants a couple more years than the Jays are willing to offer. But every all four professional sports are getting younger and younger and younger. I'm talking basketball, football, hockey, and baseball. No one is really staying that effective. Aside from the you know the David Ortiz is you know those the Yarmir Yagers and he's even shipped out to check now. But uh, at that, no one just wants to actually have to invest that kind of money and that term on somebody that could fizzle out in the next year, year and a half. You saw how Jose Bautista's performance dropped off. Jose Bautista is quite a bit older than Josh Donaldson at that point. It might be one of those scenarios where you're going to have to pay up for the the first, you know he's still going to be all-star caliber if he can stay healthy for the next three, three and a half, four seasons. I think we can can put that to bed. He is that good of a player. It's the, do you want to pay up for those first four years of all-star capability, knowing that the next three afterwards, 
he might start that decline and you're going to have him locked up to a big contract. That's that's just sports. You got to pay up for the good years knowing the bad ones are going to come. Not only that, but how good is your team going to be when he's still performing like an MVP? And then when your team actually gets good, we're looking at the Blue Jays here. They're not exactly, from what we're seeing in the AL East, it doesn't seem like they're going to be favorites to win the division. No, they're, they're wild card hopefuls. If they're wild card hopefuls. At some point, they, could be, they could be 500 hopefuls. You want to waste that kind of term and that time with Josh Donaldson paying that money. He's playing like an MVP, but your team can barely crack 500. And then when your team finally gets good, he's dropped off a ton, and you're still paying the guy millions of dollars. Well, the, the worst thing the Jays could possibly do is be right in the hunt at the trade deadline. That would be the worst spot for the, the Jays. The worst spot. They, they either got to be good or they got to be terrible. If they're right on the bubble and they're thinking, hey, we can still make a run, you make the run, you miss the playoffs, and J.D. walks. That is the worst case scenario. You want if you either want to be really good, add some pieces. JD wants to stay. You're making another playoff run. Hooray! Or you want to be at like 30 wins. Everything's gone wrong. JD is the only bright spot. Having an All Star caliber season, you ship him out for a king's ransom, and you really start again. And I'm sure a bunch of a bunch of fans and listeners are thinking, well. You see what Alex Anthopoulos did. He had great pieces around, and he went out to the to the market and he brought in more big names to get that that postseason, you know, powerhouse that went out to back-to-back ALCS appearances. But at the end of the day, you can't keep shipping off your farm system for a quick fix for two years of competitiveness just to fall off the wagon and deal with guys on massive contracts who are in their mid-30s. And, and at the end of the day, I think when it comes to management and GMs, as hard as it is for fans to say, in a lot of cases, in any sport, the GMs don't give a crap where the team's going to be in five years. All they care about is where they're going to be in about two years. Which might not be with that team. Right? The GM cares about their job and keeping it yeah. as long as they yeah. can. There's nothing worse than a GM that feels like he has to make a move to keep his job. That's the worst place you can be as a team owner. Have a GM that's going, are they going to fire me? Are they going to fire me? i got to pull the trigger. i got to pull the trigger. And then you're set back another five years. That's how Dave Nonis's pop up. <laughs> All right, Leaf fans? We don't need any of that in Toronto anymore. We're trying to build perennial postseason favorites here. Hey, it's been a good year for the city of Toronto. Come on. The Raptors are going at it. TFC won a ship. Argos won the championship. We got ships everywhere. Raptors are in first place. Get your ship together. (sighs) Build the ark, man. Noah's coming to town. We're filling that ship. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, talking about the probably the favorite out of everybody, got to be the Maple Leafs. Of course it is. Talking about the hockey town that Toronto is coming off a back-to-back weekend, taking on Pittsburgh, and then Detroit. Had a few defensive breakdowns against Pittsburgh and bounced back with that win against Detroit. Talk about uh, late-game uh, heroics from Austin Matthews. That, you know, goal with, what, 30 seconds left yeah, in the game? Yeah, some change. And, well, Curtis McElhaney, what can you say? Backing his team up, coming in. He's doing exactly what a backup goalie needs to play 500 for you. It's mm-hmm. all a backup goalie needs to do. McAleen's been better than that all year. And then you got Frederick Anderson, like he was tonight, stealing wins. Like This is a good situation for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Oh, 100%. And I think the best part about Curtis McAleen is that he's fun to watch because he's always like scrambling around the crease. Talk about golf, guy like Phil Mickelson, feel the thrill. Guy will slice it 40 yards off the, into, the, into the trees, but then make a ridiculous recovery shot. It's exciting to watch. Curtis McElhaney, for Leaf fans, might be a little heart-pounding and can get your blood pressure going up. But for hockey fans, I love seeing him scramble around, go post-to-post, and make these ridiculous saves. 
But uh, yeah, moving on to the game tonight that took on the Florida Panthers. Game just ended a couple hours ago. It's about 11.41 right now. They beat the Panthers 1-0. Frederick Anderson, 40 saves. That guy's just really trying to make a bid for that Vezina nomination. It's too bad he had the first month of the season where he was a little bit shaky. If we could just forget about that month, you he's unquestionably in that top three Vesna conversation. He's probably top five as is. Yeah. But unfortunately, that first month did occur, and voters are going to have to look at that. But you're right. He's he's played Vesna caliber since November without question, and another 40 stops tonight, keeping his team in it. And what can What more can you say about the stout pickup that was Frederick Anderson by uh, the lease management bringing him in. That was, that's looking like a real good contract right now. I mean, since the new year, who would you rather have in the crease for you? You got Vasilevsky and then I'd take Anderson all day. The guy's got ice in his veins. First off, he's the ultimate goaltender. The mentality he has just quiet to himself, super calm nerves, doesn't get flustered. And he does a great job. 40 saves. What else can you ask for in a guy? I think it's so when you look back at, at what the moves that Shanahan and Lamorello have made since getting to Toronto, it's like they've been flawless with every single transaction. And they go out and they trade at the draft to get Frederick Anderson with a with a conditional pick that was used in the in the Kessel trade. They get back, they use everything to their disposal, and they go right down. And they lock the guy down to five years, a five year deal. And I think a lot of fans could have been worried, thinking, "Oh my God, here's another vessel." Well, let's remember last year he came in, got injured there in the World Cup of Hockey, and he had a real bad first month, month and a half, and fans were going, did we really just sign this guy to a five-year deal? No one's saying that anymore. Because it's not like they went out and got the star goaltender from Anaheim. No. Anaheim had to get rid of one of them, and they chose Gibson. They thought Gibson was the better goaltender. Who he still is a great goaltender. Oh yeah, don't don't take anything away from Gibson in this yeah. conversation. Just but they had to get rid of one, and they thought that Anderson was the lesser of two evils. They just ship him off and get a return for him. Leafs pick him up, sign him to a five year deal. He's been lights out, absolutely lights out. He is the MVP of this team this year. I would have taken injury to anybody else, including Austin Matthews, which almost which way we might we, have we don't know what happened. <laughs> so the guy takes a, a shot from the point with like two seconds left in the game, and he's favoring his. His foot a little yeah, bit. Yeah, looked like a, the clapper got him on the foot there. Hopefully, he's okay. But I mean, hey, that's a great move that showing that your your star player, your franchise player, is willing to give up the body in a late one goal game. That's you know what that does. You know what those actions do, Mike? They Team put, bonding. They put the C on your jersey. That's what they do. Ooh, well, yeah. Come on, we're, we're not debating that he's getting the C, right? Mike Babcock's going to get the needle of thread and, and, and take the C, unstitch it from his suit, and smack it on Matthew's jersey. Now, there's going to go like uh, minor hockey where you just use the stick tape. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Like Ricky in Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. Or just put the backwards K on him like in Russia. I love it. I love <laughs> it. So the Leafs are hot right now. White hot, man. They're playing well. They're uh, itching a little closer to the Bruins for second in the Atlantic. Bruins have some games in hand, but hey, they're only a point back of Tampa going into tonight's games with like three games in hand over Tampa. So uh, anything that happened in the Atlantic right now, yes, the Leafs have less games, but their schedule is looking pretty good for them. And uh, they're, they're playing Boston on Saturday, so it's going to be a fun matchup to see what happens. Uh it's tough because you want to think, hey, you know, if you're going to get the third spot no matter what, you want to rest Anderson and give him some time off, let McElhinney get some starts. But if you have that second spot within reach, you're going to go for it, and you've got another game against Boston on Saturday. And I think this is going to be a good measuring stick game. I wouldn't be surprised to see a full playoff atmosphere and the way they play, 100% playoff mode, because they know they're playing each other, chances are, unless Boston somehow overtakes Tampa. Yeah, but barring something 
expectational or something completely bizarre, we can pretty much pencil this one in as a first-round playoff preview. We've already had this discussion. I talked about it with Josh. We did a Would You Rather segment talking about it. But if you were, if you know it's already clinched, it's locked in, Boston and Toronto are playing each other, and you're a Toronto coach or fan, what have you, would you rather have home ice advantage or be start off on the road? You know, I see where you're coming from on this one, especially maybe with a younger team. You maybe want to go on the go on the road first and try to steal one, then come home. But I'm old school. G- give me home ice. Make sure if there is a game seven and a series gets there, you want to be playing that in front of your home crowd. I mean, do we really have to revisit what happened last time these two teams played a game seven? That's the thing. It's Boston. Yeah. If it's a third period this year in the seventh game and it's in TD Gardens and they're up four one, I'm just walking out. <laughs> yeah. I'm walking out. You'll you'll get the notification on your phone. No, I never walk out. I'd watch it, but I'd be nervous, man. See, it's a whole different team, so you can be better. New coaching staff, everything. So, you know, they're doing a much better job holding leads. It's gonna be fun to watch what the Leafs do. They're eight and two in the last two games playing, or excuse me, last ten games playing really well. And the most important thing I think is their differential, man. They're plus thirty three on the season, and I think that's a big leap for what they've been in the past few years. And Mike Babcock's really changed the way they play, and they play a full two hundred foot game and. The best player on your team, aside from Frederick Anderson, your elite centerman, the future captain of your team in Austin Matthews, is a guy who is just as good as in his own zone as he is in the offensive zone. And I think you can't, you can never have too much of that. Yeah, and ever since Mike Babcock made those roster, his lineup switch about a month ago, bringing Marner up to play with uh, Marlowe and moving Komarov down and dumping his minutes by about 10 a game, that that's really what sprung the Leafs on this I mean, they've they've won six, six, seven straight now, and at home they are on absolute fuego. And it's got to be finally like Marner's playing really well. It seems every time he has the puck on his stick, it's a scoring opportunity for the Leafs. It's definitely a confidence thing for Marner, hundred percent. Well, yeah, now now he knows he's not a fourth liner anymore. Yeah, he's a second liner, and he he's people have been talking about how it's a sophomore slump for him. He's been leading the second on this team in points pretty much all he's, season long. He's still going to get sixty points this year. He's, he might get twenty goals. Yeah, and it's it's a and soft people, and people are complaining. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But we're talking about Mike Babcock and how he's so set in his ways. Anytime the media asks him any questions, he always says, you do your job, I'll do mine. Specifically talking about the ice time Austin Matthews gets, the outrageous ice time Leo Komarov used to get. But in this case, we got to look at JVR. Guy scores again tonight against the Panthers, the game-winning goal in the one nothing win, his 25th of the season. It's the quietest 25-goal season in the history of 25-goal seasons. I think a big reason for that is because he's not the flashiest goal scorer. No, Most he, of his goals are right in front of the net, just yeah, you, tipping. You could, and, you could probably do like a three-foot radius from the crease, and I'm pretty sure 24 out of his 25 goals would come in that range. It's his bread and butter. The problem is he's not as good five-on-five. Five. No, he's, a, he's almost a power play specialist. That's all he is now, and... and you know, if you look as a fan and look at the team and think, well, okay, if ba- if Bozak's going to be gone and JVR is going to be gone next year, who knows what's going to happen with Komarov? Babcock loves him. We'll see what happens. Will the team digress? I don't think so. Sure, JVR scored 25 goals this year, but it's mostly been on special teams, I would have to say. And for the most part, Babcock, he shuts down his ice time five on five. He doesn't play nearly as much, especially in his own zone, because he's not really good defensively. Yeah, at all. And you're not telling me that the Leafs don't have a plethora of people coming up the uh, coming up from the Marlies that could take that spot and run with it. Like, how right? Casperi Captain? How good would he be with some more minutes? What you're going to see in the next year or two is the Maple Leafs really round out into a more fully complete team. We're talking about, yeah, sure, 
if the offense falls off, which I don't think it will, but if it does with Van Riemsdyk like gone, Marlowe's getting another year older, same time, Nylander and Marner and Matthews come back with another, another year of experience. Dermott's going to get a full year in the NHL. Who knows when Timothy Lilligren comes into the league. And, you know, guy who went 17th overall in the draft last year, a very offensive mind defenseman that has to hone his defensive game. But what better coach to play for than Mike Babcock when you have to get better defensively? He would really shape out a guy like Timothy Lilligren who already has elite skating ability along with Travis Dermott. And he could be that right-hand defenseman that could just round out this decor. Well, it's really lucky for the least that Timothy Lilligren is not from the States or Canada and never played in the CHL. Because that means he's currently in the AHL getting proper professional reps instead of being that guy like Mitch Marner when he went back to went yeah. back to London and scored, what was it, 500 million points? With two-and-a-half-minute shifts? It was like beer league. Yeah, it's the Leafs are really lucky that they have him in a pro environment right now that's going to help his development. I'm not sure if he cracks this team next year. Actually, I think he probably won't. He might get he might get a little he bit of time. He could pull a Dermot though. He could pull yeah, a Dermot and get come a little in time. late. He's not, exactly, but it's definitely going to be nice the progression that he has, and then maybe two, three years down the line, we're talking about a real quality top end defenseman that the Leafs got in that draft. It became public that both the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins had a lot of interest in Ryan McDonough. Both teams are much better defensively than the Maple Leafs are right now, safe to say. They just are. What are you going to do? Now, Boston just picked up Nick Holden, so they've bolstered their decor even more. Yeah, they've kind of filled that role. Right. It's safe to say if the Leafs don't do anything to to fix up that blue line by the playoffs at the trade deadline, uh, it's not going to look too good for Lou Lamorello. What do you see as a possible move they can make, or do you think they even need to make a move? If if I'm if I'm going to put on my Leafs GM cap for a second here, which we do all so much. Oh, absolutely. Who doesn't love playing Lou Lamorello for a little bit? Yeah. Uh, if I'm going out and getting a defenseman, I'm I'm getting a placeholder. I'm I'm not everyone wants the flashy. Go get Oliver Ekman Larson. Go sign Eric Carlson. Yeah, like that's, yeah, that's going to happen. You're going to have to give away the farm. Go go get a guy on an expiring contract. Because like you said, there's so many names coming up from the Marlies on defense. Dermot is a new discovery. And how about uh, even, even Hall? He comes in, scores two goals in two games, and he's back down in the minors. I'm mm-hmm. not saying he's going to become a stud defenseman in the NHL. He's 26, but he could still be a depth guy. He could definitely be a third-pairing guy, most likely. I mean, obviously, you take a full camp to discover whether or not that's true. But with the amount of defensemen coming up, I don't know if you really want to go get a big piece. I mean, if the price is right. I'm never going to say no to picking up an all-star defenseman, but you said a, a McDonough? That'd almost be a perfect piece for me. A veteran guy. He wears the C in New York. Bring him in. He has the experience, and he can really teach maybe some of that younger defensive core how it's done. Like, Ron Hainsey was a beautiful pickup in the offseason. Right. The The only thing is, I wonder how much of an influence Mike Babcock really has, because we know it's a big one, but how big is it really? Uh, with Ryan McDonough, you're talking about a guy who has term next year as well. He has one year left. The Rangers, I think, are going to ask for the moon for him. We already know they're they're pretty much uh, going to start a renovation, start setting up shop and selling some of these guys off. I look at a guy like Mike Green, expiring contract, $6 million. Detroit has no problem retaining that kind of money because he's expiring first off, and they have the cap space. Leafs have just over $4.5 million of cap space left. Uh, 
would he be a guy that Mike Babcock could be interested in? At the same time, we would just slot him in. Would he be a guy that could match up great with Morgan Riley? Then you could have Hainsey playing with Dermott. I really don't like Roman Polak and Dermott playing together. Can't we just trade Roman Polak to San Jose at the deadline like we do every year and get a second rounder? Yeah, isn't that the? Isn't that just a? I thought that yeah. was a. I thought there was an agreement there. Every trade it's, deadline. They trade him to San Jose. It's just repetitive. You, yeah. you trade him to San Jose, get a second rounder, then you see Darnell Nurse punch his face in by the boards. And then in the in the summer, you sign him again, and then you just rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and he just recovers from a ridiculous injury that he shouldn't recover from, but still makes the team because he's a monster. Yeah, well, well, I mean, everyone apparently San Jose and Toronto have the best trading relationship of any two teams in the league. We just saw at least pick too. up a massive seventh rounder in 2020, eh? Yeah, for Eric Fair, 2020 seventh rounder for Eric Fair. What's this going to mean? Are they going to go out and get a, another centerman? Because Mike Babcock was talking about centerman depth, and you just gave away a centerman. So you're talking about Dominic Moore, who we both. I, I hate. I hate not Dominic Moore. He's a is, stud. He's everything you need in a fourth line center. Everything kills penalties, blocks shots, wins faceoffs. He can skate. skates hard, and sometimes he puts the puck in the net. And he's got good edges, and he does some good stuff on the ice. You do stuff, and you're like, holy Jesus, Like this guy is a fourth liner. That's great. What more do you need? I, th- I think it's a bit of an insurance policy to get a guy that could fill in if he gets hurt. I mean, Frederick Gauthier is kind of your backup after that, right? Yeah, but how much are you willing to give up for a guy that we essentially want to sit in the press box and be a just-in-case? That's the thing. But at the same time, he could have used Eric Fair. You're going to get a seventh-rounder in 2020? How, like, Really? <laughs> And that's I understand. I understand you're getting rid of a contract. Yeah, because they're down to 48 now, which means they got some move. They got some room come Monday. That's the thing. That makes me think they might do something. I really like Mike Green, man. He's a righty. I'm so set on Mike Green right now. And here's the other reason why I'm so set on Mike Green. Price might be high on him. I think a lot of teams are going to be in on him. That's, could be that's what everybody war. thinks. But that's the thing. It's a bidding war. But if there's not, the last two or three deadlines is prove. That it's not a seller's market. It's a buyer's market. No one's getting what they really want for these pieces. So I think if you just play the waiting game and wait on Detroit, at some point they're going to trade him. They're got to. They're not going to just let him walk next year. They're not going to re-sign him. They're not going to let him walk for nothing next year. They're going to trade him at the deadline. You play the waiting game, yeah, they're probably not going to get everything they want. Play the waiting game right up to 3 p.m. and pull the trigger with whatever the best deal is currently in your lap. Maybe. I mean, do we ever even see trades happen like right before the deadline anymore? You see some trickling after if they're you know, on the, the trade call goes late, but yeah, yeah. A lot of these GMs like to get their their trades done ahead of time, which is boring for us when we have to sit around on a trade center TV show and just uh, nothing's happened. Like, it's you- killer. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> but yeah, Mike Green. I mean, the guy he can play really well in the power play, and you know, if you can get a special team specialist to come and maybe get some PK time, maybe lighten the load on Ron Hainsey. And Nikita Zaitsev, like how hard that must be to play a full two minutes of a penalty kill in the regular season, let that's alone what, the that, playoffs. That, that's what Polak's, it's his, his one redeeming feature on Roman Polak is that mm-hmm. he kills a mean penalty and he does it without a visor because he is just a straight up badass. He's a badass and I think he's going to get some minutes in the playoffs because you got to be physical in the playoffs. Mike yep. Babcock loves him. I wouldn't be surprised Wait. if Matt Martin got some time in the, in uh, the playoffs. I, th- I think it's one or the other. I think it's one or the other. You only need one guy like that. I don't think you need them both in the lineup. I don't know, man. Did Polak play in the Pittsburgh game? Not sure. Not sure either. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think Matt Martin's a tough case because it's the contract. It's going to be tough to move a guy like that. Anyway, moving on to the NBA All-Star game. Okay, we gotta, there's, we're got to. we not going to dive into the game that much. We're going to dive into everything around it. 
everything before it everything before it and more specifically fergie and her rendition of the national anthem uh here's what it was if you missed it which you shouldn't have missed it because it went absolutely viral here's what it was Raymond was loving it. <laughs> yeah, just the mouth open. I'm surprised there was no drool coming out. I, I get how it would be a performance where when you're doing it and you're listening to it like yourself as you're performing, you're like, oh my God, this sounds killer. But then you listen to it and you're like, oh my God, this is it's, terrible. It's the national anthem. It's not your song to put a twist on, to have some fun with. It's the national anthem. Just sing it. Like it's an anomaly. <laughs> How every single year, one person just butchers the national anthem at a giant event. And you should, if you're a performer who's booked to do a national anthem and you see someone else butcher it in, in, on a massive scale, on, on a massive televised event, you should watch that and think, that won't be me. I won't do that. I'll just sing it normally like it, everybody j- j- else. Just sing it normally. Hold the last note for a super long time. Just, I mean... This happened at the NBA All-Star Game. We only got to go back two years to Nelly Furtado singing the Canadian anthem, and people just lost it there. Why have artists not figured out that people don't like it when you experiment with the national anthem? It's true. Draymond Green was loving it. Steph Curry was loving it. Jimmy Kimmel was loving it. The best shot ever was Chris Rock, because you could tell like he, he didn't have a lot of expression on his face, but he made this face like the gears were turning in his head. He's like, oh, this is material. This is stand-up material. I'm a, I got another Netflix special in like two months. This will be on my Netflix special in two months. I could tell. If you look at his face, everybody YouTube the Fergie National Anthem and watch Chris Rock. He knew this is material he's going to use uh, in the near future. Now, with that said, we made a list of the top five worst national anthem performances it's almost hard to knock it down to five there's been so many terrible renditions very true and we have a honorable mention honorable mention who that will come up in between th- uh three no two and one we'll do five to two and then the honorable mention number five cuba gooding senior fight or the rapid rewards through the twilight's last gleaming and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. All right, two things. First, didn't even get the lyrics right on half the song. That's embarrassing. And second, get this guy an oxygen tank, I man. was going to say, did he just <laughs> run a 10K? Cooper Gooding <laughs> Jr. is watching this like, oh, my God, Dad, come on, man. My career could take a hit from this. 
let alone yours. Uh, it's not just good. embarrassing. It was pretty bad. I mean, and listen, someone's going to say, "Hey, TK, let's see your let's see your pipes go. How can you sing? I can't sing, but I'm not going to go into the ex- NBA All Star Game and start butchering the anthem. Yeah, I wouldn't accept the honor to sing the national anthem. <laughs> I'd accept the honor, but then decline. Yeah, I would politely decline the offer to sing the national anthem at any live sporting event. I want it well known that I was offered the position <laughs> of singing the anthem, but that I declined. <laughs> All right, next up, Alexis Normand. The twilight's first gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars knew the peril in <sighs> Whose broad stripes and bright stars at the dawn's early. That's very painful. It is, where, where's the crowd? I know. Here's the problem with butchering the anthem in hockey games. Everybody's half in the bag. They're already <laughs> blitzed. They've been day drinking all night, and they're going for a hockey game. And whenever the anthem's about to start at, an, at a hockey, any sporting event, not even a hockey game, but just put it in the context of the hockey game, you're sitting in your seats, everything gets quiet, and the announcer comes on basically saying, everybody shut up, stand up, look at the flag, and pay full attention to what's going on. So any little minuscule mistake you make, the crowd's yeah, going to catch up on it. But, I mean, we've seen it before where when like a mic dies or something, a crowd will pick up the anthem singer. They'll carry the torch. We've seen it happen in Canadian arenas where they sing this Star-Spangled Banner, but the crowd's just out there just too shocked to even help. And, man, I, I just feel bad for the girl. It was pretty bad almost forgot how to talk i i really hope they gave her another shot at some point like a redemption that's something to look up in the, in the near future yeah next up roseanne barr famous for her sitcom show roseanne the family hit this i think this was a bit of a stupid idea to even ask her to come on basically she was invited to, to sing the anthem at the at an mlb game and it was basically just a mockery of the national anthem here's what it was Crowd was having none of it. Yeah, no, that's a ruthless crowd. Getting the boo birds out there. That's probably what I would sound like if I had to sing the national anthem. But, like, what were you thinking, whoever organized this, asking her to come on as a bit? It was obviously a bit. Everybody knows she can't sing. It was back in the 90s, the peak of her career. And they all knew it was going to happen. You think a bunch of Americans would respond well to somebody butchering their anthem? Celebrities should stick to... To sing and take me out to the ball game in the seventh inning stretch. Exactly. No one cares how badly you butcher that. Yeah, that was actually terrible. You know, it's it's funny, but you're going to get some angry fans for sure after that performance. Next up, Carl Lewis. This is classic. Oh, say can you see and the rockets red Uh oh, I'll make up for it now. For the land of the free. So it was bad enough that his voice cracked halfway through, but then he apologizes for it. And then you could tell that he was so afraid to hit another high note and have his voice crack again that he just changes the entire ending of the anthem note-wise just to 
pretty much personally guarantee his voice doesn't crack, and the crowd was having none of it. Well, you should have realized right from the 22nd first O in O Can You See that this one was going to be a train wreck from the start. 100%. The honorable mention, too many American national anthems. Go to Canadian now. Where did this happen again? Remind me. Okay, so the CFL decided it would be a bright idea to expand into the U.S., so Las Vegas got the Las Vegas Posse. And, uh, well... This, uh, O Canada took a, a familiar tune to it. With growing hearts we see thee rise, the true and strong and free. From far and wide, O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. <laughs> that was a gong show right off the bat. I don't know what was worse, the uh, anthem performance, the fact there's about 10 people in the crowd at a Las Vegas CFL event. Yeah, that that that, NFL, that CFL expansion did not last long. Not only did he do an old Christmas tree rendition of the Canadian National Anthem, but he butchered the lyrics, too. Yeah, and he was, like, re- redoing lines. Like, he completely changed it. The guy would stick to the script. Just the look of the guy, too. You could just well, see it's it. It's so 1994. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? 94? Yeah, 94. Oh, remember back in 94 when the CFL moved to Vegas? The Las Vegas Posse. Now, number one needs no intro, but I will intro it. R. Kelly in 2001 at a boxing event, HBO televised. There was straight up the instrumental, the rapper's delight in the background. Hey, clap your hands. Everybody clap your hands. It was rapper's delight. And there's people dancing in the ring like as he's singing. You didn't know the Star Spangled Banner was a two-step? No, I didn't. <laughs> I do now. The best part about this is that this is right in the middle of R. Kelly's act. All the accusations and allegations against them with the sexual assault and everything. He goes to court. All this crap happens in his life. And then he comes right back out. And just butchers the anthem on HBO. That's almost the best butcher, though, because it actually it didn't sound awful if you didn't know it was the American National Anthem. I think just the, the fact <laughs> that it's R. Kelly makes it so much better. <laughs> I mean, cool. Ignition Remix is one of the greatest songs ever made. Come on, you got, like, what, Stairway to Heaven, like Hotel California, and then Ignition Remix, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wish you were there, Pink Floyd. That's true. Dark Side of the Moon. That's, that's a, we, we could be opening up a... Big yeah, we don't need to open up this can of worms to get into this. We'll uh, keep it going with the basketball and the all-star game. The other thing I want to touch on is, uh, well, there's two things. First off, the uh, the selections from LeBron James for his starters were released. Oddly enough, it was funny. Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, DeMarcus Cousins, and then, of course, himself. DeMarcus Cousins uh, eventually gets replaced by Russell Westbrook. I came out with this whole conversation about how there's no way LeBron James is going to pick Kyrie Irving on his team because I thought they were like school kids just scrapping it out, fighting on Twitter. You had the Arthur uh, post on Twitter with the fists yeah, and whatever the hell that was. Yeah, turned into a meme real quick. Yeah. Something, there's no way they're buddies again, but then what do you know? This comes out and you see the shot of them on the bench. They're laughing. They're having a good time. So 
maybe you, you know, Steph was probably thinking the same thing. We thought, you know, I don't even need to pick Kyrie. I can pick him up last. LeBron will never take him. That's okay. a great take. That's true. What if Steph thought that? Like, hey, I'll take Kyrie last. LeBron's not taking him. Exactly. Make sure I get my Warrior teammates. I mean, Durant gets poached real early, but... Yeah, yeah, he took Durant first. Yeah, well, you have to. You knew he was going to be the first overall regardless. 100%. Yeah, but basically with Kyrie and LeBron, he's basically saying, hey, man, you screwed me over this year in terms of fighting for a title, but hey, we're still buddies. I love you, man. The other one was Jimmy Butler. He never played. The rumor spreading around is that he might have been hungover, having a bit of a late night in L.A. I'm not saying he was. Maybe he was just having some extra rest. But... Is, is there a decent nightlife in L.A.? Is there? I'm not sure. Hollywood Hills? I can't imagine. They must 11 o'clock curfew, right? <laughs> you know what's so funny? I just watched on Netflix. It's a documentary on Doc Ellis, the pitcher for the Pirates, who threw a no-hitter on LSD. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the best stories just in sports history. Anybody who has Netflix, go on Netflix and, and look up No-No, a documentary, spelled D-O-C-K-U-mentary. Basically, he played for the Pirates You know, during the Roberto Clemente uh, era and all he actually he, he loved Roberto Clemente as a person and and, and uh, he is along with with Doc Ellis were uh, strong advocates you know for black baseball and growing and expanding the team anyway basically what happened was the Pirates on a road trip playing, playing in San Diego the rule was if you're a pitcher you didn't have a start coming up you can go back to your hometown as long as it was a reasonable distance from where the game was held so he lived in L.A. he got hopped on a plane went to L.A. and he was just chilling around took some LSD got a phone call. From somebody on the team who said, hey, where the hell are you, man? You pitched in a couple hours. And he goes, no, I pitched tomorrow. And he goes, nah, you pitched today. And the famous quote, he goes, and there I was on the mound, high as a Georgia pine. <laughs> so basically, eight walks and one hit batter later, the guy throws a no-hitter on LSD, the greatest thing ever. So that's what L.A. does to you, basically. <laughs> so what happened, I'm not saying Jimmy Butler's in the bench on LSD. I'm just saying well, Doc if, Ellis if he was is on a LSD, freaking stud. He would have won... MVP of the game if he was on LSD, right? That just yeah. seems to be the going right. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, yeah, if you have Netflix, look up Doc Ellis. And, uh, it's pretty. It's a pretty cool story to look at. So yeah, uh, All Star was uh, was okay to watch. I didn't really have too much of a uh, of interest in the actual game. I saw the anthem, and that was basically it's an All Star game. What you are know, you going to do? You know the best thing they could have done instead of doing this selection pre done. I know they want to do it pre done so they can get jersey sales. It's all about the money. Mm-hmm. Have LeBron and Steph stand at center court. Oh, you stole Le- this from me, man. Yeah, oh, no, come on. And just, yeah, and just pick. Ta- we've so, talked yeah, about complete it. Complete schoolyard. Yeah. Complete schoolyard pick. 100%. We've talked about it here. Have him go to center court literally 15 minutes before, before the game. Off. Yep. Do it in the NHL All-Star game. Throw sticks Throw at center sticks ice. In the, yeah, like just some classic shinny. I'd be amazing. I, I, They should absolutely do that, 100%. It'd be good. But I understand with the jerseys and everything. They, they want to make the money, right? They would never do it, but at least televise the selections. I think they said they're, they're thinking about doing that next year. I think so, too. I think they did say I mean, that. So You'd make money off that as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, have LeVar Ball just show up and have just LeVar start Ball talking Have LeVar Ball host. Dude, you say that, and I guarantee they're going to do that. <laughs> Guaranteed. Did you hear the comments that guy said the other uh, like a week ago? Well, if uh, if they don't, if LA doesn't draft his other two sons, Lonzo's not going to play for them, and then they'll go to a team that takes all three. Yeah, he said he'd pull Lonzo from the Lakers. How insane do you have to be to even say that? Now Lonzo's gotten to the point where he's just like, whatever, he's an idiot. Let him say what he's going to say. I'm just going to play basketball. But the fact that the guy's you know under contract, you can't control what your son's going to do in the NBA. Yeah. Lonzo has a proper agent, right? It's <laughs> it's not just his dad, is it? I, I hope not. 
for his own sake, more than anything, I hope he has an agent that's telling him to stop listening to his father. Out of all the egregious things he's done, actually saying you'd pull, you're threatening to pull no, what, your son. What he said was, team. if his next son gets drafted this year or next year, if they don't get drafted by LA, once Lonzo's entry level contracts up, he won't resign. And then all three of them would be free agents because the other two will keep playing in Lithuania until this happens. And then all three of them will only sign with a team that takes all three. And I can't imagine any team in the NBA taking all three. No. A Lithuanian, Lithuanian. A Lithuanian team will take all Welcome three. Welcome to Lithuania, baby. The guy is just shooting his own sons in the foot. It's ridiculous. Uh, moving on to the Olympics now. Been an eventful night. Pretty, we actually had a rundown set up for uh, all the Olympic action, but everything that just happened... Uh, Kind of changes everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, so the problem with a 14-hour time delay. It doesn't matter how late we do this show. They're still competing. Exactly. What was your favorite uh, moment in the last 24 hours? It's got to be Scott Moyer and Tesla Virtue. Well, how can it be? I mean, I'm not even going to lie. My, my heart sank when Papadakis and Cicerone set a world record by two points over their own world record. And then I, I thought, oh, man, it, it, is it going to happen again? Are they going to get stuck with another silver? And then they skated their hearts out a perfect routine and just barely claiming that win. And it's almost hilarious to think that win only came because uh, Papadakis and Cicerone, they got deducted a point on their short program because of that wardrobe malfunction. And that was... Jeez. Oh, imagine if that hadn't happened? Ooh, that would imagining been tight. it. Well, I mean, listen, I think what they're doing, I think they might, they might start a uh, trend, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. What they did was they met with their management and their coaching and 24 hours before the event, and they said no matter what the opposition does before we go out on the ice, we don't want to know. We don't want to know at all what the other countries did and the other athletes did. We're just going to go in with a blind eye and hope for the best. Yeah, just skate your skate. Right. Don't get caught up with who, what you got to beat. Just yeah, do if, your very best. And they did that, and they beat a world record, right? I think everybody should go in with that. Yeah, absolutely. If they'd gone in knowing what the French couple had just done before, that would have been a lot of pressure. I think it was really wise of them to just go in knowing all we got to do is hit our skate, and it's out of our hands. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, I mean, can they, I mean, they carried the flag in. Can they carry it out as well? I mean, it's either got to be them again or Kim Boutin. I think Kim Boutin would be a nice choice yeah, as well. Yeah, that'd be good too. She won two bronze and... Two bronze and she's still got another event. Yeah, good for her, obviously. And then we got to go, we got we to talk about this Esther Ledecka. Oh, this is the most ridiculous story that's ever going to come out of the Olympic Games. So she basically, what happened was they were even, they were televising the women's super G. Yeah, and, and on NBC. On NBC. CBC did it right. Yeah. Respect the Canadian broadcasters. But on NBC, they basically just already announced the winner before yeah. she even the, went the down. The second last skier went, they announced the winner, and they left the coverage. They went to a complete, they switched events. They went to figure skating. They wanted to show uh, Adam Rippon, the uh, young man. So Esther Ledecka is a Czech snowboarder. That's yes. her main sport. She's a Czech snowboarder. She had the final run on the women's Super G on borrowed skis. Yeah, she was borrowing skis from uh, Michaela Schifrin of the U.S., a fantastic skier in her own right. And she came in first by a millisecond. You saw her coming down the hill, and she looked at the screen, and she couldn't even believe what the hell happened. She's like, are you serious? I just won? It was insane. Yeah, to do it on borrowed skis in not your primary event, and for everyone to have already anointed the winner, people, she was written off. Just chick can't do it. She's just going to coast down. She did Win. it. The best part, my, the best part, because I was so transfixed when it happened. I mean, I was watching the replay so many times. You saw her run. She would get air, and she like 
she wasn't really very technically sound. Like, she wasn't tucked in like everybody else. Her leg would stick out, and she had a weird landing, yet she still finished in first. And you'd see everybody that followed and came behind her, and they were, like, technically sound and picture perfect. Not everybody, but the second and third spot. So it's it's crazy how fast she was moving despite not even looking yeah, that she, she fluid. She must have been absolutely soaring. Just no regard get for me, her physical well-being. Oh, absolutely. No regard for human life. Get me some of that wax she had on the bottom of her skis, man. She was soaring. Oh. And, I mean, if you look at the Super G and what these, these girls and men do, women and men do going downhill, the, the decline of the mountain when they're flying down and they... And they they're t- triple-digit speeds in kilometers an hour. It's ridiculous. It's insane. It's insane. On a bit of a sour note, we go over to the women's curling... Uh, Rachel Holman and Team Canada. For the first time, the women's Canadian uh, curling team will not medal in the Olympics. Uh, Rachel Holman, very, very sour note to finish on. You know, she basically they finished what three and five. Uh, they still have a match, and they which still is the have worst a part. Match. They, got, they got to go play OAR, who is also eliminated. They can't make the playoffs either. It's an absolute nothing match. I don't even know how you get up for this. It's it, tough. It's it's gonna be hard to come back. Like. You do a couple shots, forget about the fact I was going to say, come back you or... pull out like you got the stomach flu or under the influence or <laughs> something. Obviously not. Go, She's going to honor go, her commitment. Go, Bull. Pull one more win for Cam and end it on a good note. That's the thing. Just kill it. Just yeah, destroy, just destroy the opposition. Destroy them. You know, prove that you deserve that Roar of the Rings win that got you yeah, like, into the Olympics in the a, first like, place. She won the Worlds last year without losing a single match. This, this has got to be one of the biggest upsets almost of the Olympics that she didn't make this mm-hmm. medal round. Very tough. Wishing her all the best. She's a great cur- uh, curler. Unbelievable. Oh, and, yeah. I, and you could bet that the women will come back better than ever you in the next Olympics. She could easily be back there in four years. 100%. Would not surprise me in the slightest. Mm-hmm. On the men's side, Kevin Cooey is watching them play Sweden uh, on Friday night. Uh, so both t- both countries went in 4-0, Sweden and Canada on the men's side for the curling, and I couldn't even stay up. I went to bed at about 2 o'clock, and it was about the sixth end. Uh, Sweden pulled out with the win, snapping Canada's unbeaten streak uh, in this Olympics. But uh, safe to say that Kevin Cooey still has a great chance of winning gold for the uh, men's curling team. Oh, absolutely. I think that one comes down to the experience he has on his roster. His, his first and his third, uh, Ben Ebert and Mark Kennedy, they won gold. Back in 2010 for Canada, so they've gone through this before, and they they can talk to this team and say, hey, it's okay when the going gets tough, it's going to happen. You're playing the best of the best as the Olympic Games, and I think that'll really help them come the medal round. And then, of course, we have Cassie Sharp winning gold in the women's ski halfpipe, and she love the stunt ditch. She just cruised, absolutely cruised to that gold medal win on halfpipe. Uh, going back to curling, men are up are currently up four nothing. Uh, against Norway. Denmark. <laughs> Denmark. That's why I have Mike here. Denmark. <laughs> I don't know my flag. Sue me. Uh, against Denmark. Four nothing against Denmark. Back to uh, Cassie Sharp. Cruise at that. She had a, a three-point advantage over second spot. Hey, uh, Vancouver Island represent Comox. Growing up, going down Mount, Mount Washington, Washington, baby. Woo! I grew up on that hill. Oh, of course. Of course, ne- I'm now s- sitting here talking with you, and she's currently having a gold medal draped around her neck. Yeah. Tomatoes, potatoes. Aren't you a freaking loser, Mike? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Don't so, remind me. <laughs> preview in the Olympic hockey now. The women uh, going up against the Canadian women going up against the Americans. Jeez, who saw this coming? Dude, I've been saying this from the, the beginning. Let the other teams play around Robin and play for bronze. I want to see a best of seven Canada-US. Right? How much more fun would that be? Way more fun. Way because more. You, 
no team aside. Well, we do a best of five if you can't fit seven into the two weeks. But I th- still, I think going into the Olympics, the the Finn the Finland women's team was the only other team that really I think had a shot to make the final. You know, on paper, yeah, and just projecting. Uh, but yeah, no one was really surprised to see the Americans and Canadians. You know, go up in the final. They're going to play later this week. Uh, tomorrow night, tomorrow 11 night. p.m. Set your uh, watch. That's 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock over there on the West Coast. And man, do they hate each other. Remember 2014 when they were talking crap, the Americans were, uh, to the media? Remember the post? The post of destiny there? That was insane, <laughs> man. That was crazier than the uh, Canadian, the men's team, the men's game. because oh, yeah. well, the, the men's team just walked to that 2 nothing win over Sweden. Yeah, it was just like a defensive game yeah. after they went up two nothing. Yeah, and the women's game was on. way more. That was crazy. And, and Carey Price was like, so was lights it? out, an, an inch from U.S. winning that gold. Match. That's the thing. Like it bounces off the post, and it, it, had it gone in, the worst part about the whole thing was that the puck was in the American end, and they had their goalie pulled, and the, it was about to leave the zone, cross the blue line, and the Canadian defenseman was going to go get it and got tied up with the linesman. That was the worst thing. And then U.S. dumps it into the the Canadian zone. So close to going in the net. We're talking about if it hit anywhere to the right on that post, it would have bounced and gone into the net. But yep. instead, it goes just far enough to the left on the left post to bounce to the opposite side and clear of the net. And then, of course, Canada would go on to tie it in the dying, what, 60 seconds of the game. And, and then cue Marie-Philippe Poulain. Exactly. She, she's played in two gold medal games. She has four goals, both game winners. Really? Are you kidding me? Clutch. <laughs> Captain Clutch. That's where. She, well, that's why she's wearing the C for that women's team. Clutch, clutch. Uh, looking forward to the men. Uh, not nearly as as much of a powerhouse as the women have been, just because the NHL aren't going. But of course, wishing them the very best. Who are they going on to play, Mike? They're taking on Finland in the quarterfinals. Yeah, that one, and, that one goes down bright and early tomorrow. I mean, as much as it sucks that the NHL isn't there, there's a lot of parity. Now, absolutely, anybody can win. It was a wide open tournament from the beginning, and I kind of like the fact that when the NHLers are in the Olympics playing hockey, it's the main story. It's all we talk about. Mm-hmm. While because I think the NHLers aren't there, we're not. We don't have a Sidney Crosby interview every day. We don't have a Connor McDavid interview every day, and whoever happened to be the starting goalie. Instead, some of these other sports I think are actually getting more attention. I think it's almost better for the Olympics that the NHLers aren't there. Like I've watched yeah. more biathlon in this in this Olympic Games than I've probably ever watched before in my life. Stuff I've like watched this. a lot of downhill. Down, yeah, yeah. Whereas if the NHLers, that's all we'd be talking about. It was all we'd be focusing on. It it would be all you would see on TSN. They'd have a pregame, a postgame, an in-game, a feature on features on features. And I think it's better to get the, we're getting the broader spectrum this way. Granted, if you think that the NHL isn't going back in the next Olympics, you're crazy because it's in Beijing. Oh, they they want that untapped market. That Absolutely, China. which and is all, all four major sports want China. I think isn't Pyeongchang? It's very close to Beijing. <laughs> yeah, it's not far. <laughs> it, it's a skip and a jump, maybe in a leap if you want. Yeah, to throw that so in. I don't understand why they still wouldn't go. I, I get that the NHL doesn't want to pay for travel and, and, and insurance and everything. Um, but yeah, it is tough, and I'm sure that CBC and NBC and all the broadcasters aren't happy that not only are the games at like three in the morning, six in the morning, whatever. The time difference hasn't actually been that bad for me, like because th- for you because you're an Olympic freak, like you're really yeah. Into but it. like events start at seven, that's not that bad. You get you get a full nightcap of sports, and then if you you wake up and you can watch the recap in the morning, or you can stay up all night like me. It's true, but it's not the same as. 
as a just, normal night game. And now, just wait for 2026. They'll be back in Calgary. Mark my words. You think so, eh? Calgary's hosting the 2026 Olympic Winter Olympic Games. They, ha- they have calling it. They have the resources. They have the foundation, and, the and infrastructure. Calgary needs a new arena to begin with. It all comes together. Gonna be fun to watch. It's now twelve thirty AM Wednesday. Mike, thank you so much for coming out with me. It was a lot of fun, man. Gotta do it again. Hey, well, just we might as well throw it out. Well, before we finish Olympics, uh Caitlin Osmond, the women's uh short program, figure skating. She's sitting in third going into the free dance. So maybe uh, another medal coming there for Canada. And don't forget about watching Big Air tomorrow. Mark McMorris, Seb Toots, and uh Max Perot, all of them in the final. So it could be a, a nice medal haul of a day tomorrow for uh, Team Canada. We're going to stay tuned and keep you updated. Mike, we'll get you on again very, very soon. Thanks again, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's all for us. Tyler Kelleher and Michael Reeve on Homestand Headlines. We will talk to you guys next time. It's the remix to ignition. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama rolling that body. Got every man in here wishing. Sipping on coke and rum.